0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. We are about three weeks into our summer series on the Holy Spirit. The first sermon a couple weeks ago was, it was very poetic, remembering as we listen to the story of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit as water and wind and fire, and praying for God's Spirit to refresh our passion to quench our thirst and wash us clean, to breathe new life in stale places and direct our ways. And then last week, we moved from poetic narrative to essential theology in the letter to the Galatians. We remembered God's Holy Spirit is given through the crucified and resurrected Jesus of Nazareth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and who generates new life, eternal life, in our bodies of clay and dust through faith in Jesus Christ. And now this week, we are getting even more practical. Because it's one thing to long for the refreshment of the Holy Spirit. It is an essential thing to recognize Jesus as the source of God's Holy Spirit. But there is still a great deal to be answered and experienced around this question of Pentecost... What must we do to be saved? What must we do to experience the energy of God's Holy Spirit living in us, transforming us, renewing us on a daily basis? Where does the energy and the enthusiasm come from to follow Jesus in the ways of God's kingdom? Where does the energy and enthusiasm come from, not simply as individuals, but for us as a church, as a community? With the Olympics happening right now in London, I'm reminded, um, for even more obvious reasons now, after the opening ceremonies, of one of my top favorite films, Chariots of Fire. Uh, Not the version of Chariots of Fire with Rowan Atkinson running along on the beach. (laughs) But the version with Eric Little preaching in the rain after one of his local races and asking the question... Where the energy comes from to go the distance in faith? He answers it by saying, it requires concentration of will, energy of soul. And he asks again, where does the power come from to see the race to its end? That question you'll remember if you've seen the film is the voiceover on the scene where he wins his unlikely gold at Paris Olympics. Where does the power come from to see the race? To its end. That's our question this morning. How to move from the sort of faith on a Sunday or faith on the margins when we have time for it and we give energy to it kind of living to a life that is energized by the Holy Spirit and renewed by the Holy Spirit over and over again on a daily basis. And we're going to explore it in another one of Paul's letters. This is a letter to the believers at Thessalonica. This has become a favorite letter of mine. And the remarkable thing in this letter is these are people who are converts from paganism. It's very unlikely that there were any Jews at all in this church in Thessalonica. They converted from paganism, they recognized the life and the eternal saving life in Jesus Christ. And then very soon after they were established, they're, they're establishing pastors, Paul and Sylvanus, whom Acts calls Silas. Paul and Silas and Timothy were chased out of town. And Paul is very anxious, so anxious, that perhaps in the ensuing pressures and persecutions these brand new believers will not have the energy to see this faith journey through to the end so he sends timothy back timothy returns to paul and silas in um in corinth with with great news the believers still have the energy of faith and are seeing it through even in the midst of persecution so our letter is a letter that paul sends to them reflecting on why that is on where this energy to see it through is coming from. and we're going to pick it up in First Thessalonians chapter one, verse two. It's on page 959 in your Pew Bibles. It's a long uh, section of text, but we'll read it together. If you'd please stand, we'll read on page 959 in your Pew Bibles, First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 2. Reading together, we always give thanks to God for all of you. And mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he rescued from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are risen and that you rescue. Thank you for these words and your Holy Spirit in them. And we ardently ask, Holy Spirit, that this sermon will not be word alone, but you will take the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and make them acceptable in your sight. Energize us, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So I love the new energy and the renewed energy that any new believers will bring to a place. One of the previous churches I worked at had an interim, pastor, interim senior pastor who said, you know, basically, there's nothing wrong with this church that would not be fixed by 100 new believers. And there was another church that I was in uh, where I met a friend called Sam. And I first met Sam at a, at a party. It was a Christmas party. He uh, had had a couple of drinks and we're chatting away. And, and he finds out I'm a pastor. And, and he says, oh, I'm not a Christian. I said, oh, okay, well, that's a shame. But we can still be friends. And then we chat along. Well, then a few months later, he shows up at worship with his wife. His wife was a believer and was in our church. And Sam comes along. He comes over to me and he goes, hi, I'm Sam. I'm, I'm not a Christian. And I said, I remember you, Sam. And we, we, we talked some more. He's a great guy. And then about six months later, Sam shows up again and he goes, hey, do you remember me? I'm Sam. I go, hi, Sam. He goes, I'm a Christian. And Sam told me his story. He had taken the Alpha course at Bellevue First Presbyterian Church. It is a 10-week introduction to the Christian faith, something we have offered here at University Presbyterian Church as well. And he became a believer. Now, Sam was as energetic about telling people he was a Christian as he had been about telling people he wasn't a Christian. And he used to come along to our Wednesday night meal and classes. Well, one Wednesday he comes in and says to me, Lori, You know, I've been reading the Gospels. Do you realize we are supposed to be feeding the hungry? And I said, yeah, Sam, I I know this. And and he goes, well, why aren't we doing it? We just sit around here. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, okay, well, Sam, what do you want to do? Well, I'm not sitting around here anymore. I'm going up to Capitol Hill. I'm going to feed the hungry. So I kind of talked him through this because, you know, we're Presbyterians. There's committees who decides who gets to go to Capitol Hill. And feed the hungry, right? So so we came up with a compromise. Sam could start his own small group on the Wednesday night, and one week they would do Bible study, and the next week they would go feed the hungry on Capitol Hill. Well, this service group that Sam called it took off immediately. 12 to 18 people joined it. And mind you, there's like 16 people in this class I had prepared for 12 weeks, which is a little bit of a humility, but... So they all gather around with Sam. Sam's all enthusiasm. And in fact, a couple of people who joined in were folks who'd grown up in the church, were really burned out on religion, and just wanted to be a part of something. One of them was my friend Kate, who for several months had turned down any requests to be a small group leader. I'm sitting in my office with the door open and Sam and his service group are in the great room just outside of my office and they're discussing how they're going to run this and Sam is saying with great enthusiasm, all right, on the weeks when we're here, we're going to study this thing, Mark, and uh, we'll do the first book of Mark one week and then we'll do the second book of Mark the next week and we'll do the third book of Mark and, and, and Kate kind of gently says, well, you could call them chapters if you want, most people call them chapters and, as they're going along, and Kate is very uh, kindly, I mean, never with great enthusiasm working with Sam on how to put this together. Sam finally looks at her and goes, hey, you seem to know a lot about this. Why don't you lead this group? <laughs> and Kate goes, Wheeler, did you set this up? I'm like, no, I couldn't have set that up if I tried. <laughs> but that's the enthusiasm and energy of new believers for you. Even the most burned out lifers in the church find themselves re-energized. By what a living God is doing in another person. And this is what we witness in this passage in First Thessalonians. It's the energy of the Holy Spirit bringing the Bible to life for new believers like my friend Sam and giving a passion to live out what they're reading. The Holy Spirit brought the message of the gospel to life for these new believers in Thessalonica and gave them a passion to live it out. So you notice in verses 2 and 3 where Paul gives thanks to God for, for their labor of love, for their steadfastness of hope, for their work of faith. These people are active. They're living this out. And where does this energy come from? Well, we follow the Holy Spirit down in this passage, and you notice in verses 4 and 5 where Paul writes... We know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that God has chosen you. For our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and full conviction. See, it's the presence of God's spirit that gave Paul the confidence that these believers were beloved and chosen. And to, to really appreciate the wealth of what's going on in this passage, we need to look at the history of the Old Testament, at the history of Israel. Because these terms, beloved and chosen, weren't terms that a, a rabbi, a Pharisee like Paul, would normally attribute to pagans. These belonged to God's children, Israel, the beloved and chosen. And in the history of Israel, the longing for the Spirit extends completely through the Old Testament. Do you remember that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament wasn't given to everyone? The Holy Spirit was was poured out and given to specific people for specific tasks. So remember when when Saul was anointed as the first king of Israel and he began to prophesy. So people said, is Saul now one of the prophets? That was a sign of the Holy Spirit. And later, the Holy Spirit moved away from Saul and on to David. And you remember David in that point of abject failure in his life when he cries out in Psalm 51, renew a right spirit within me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David knew he needed God's Holy Spirit to lead God's people. And long before Saul or David, Moses, when Moses was leading these children of Israel through the wilderness and overwhelmed by the leadership by himself and and led through God's guidance through Jethro to get 70 elders, 68 of these elders gathered with Moses. Apparently there was a quorum because the Holy Spirit descended and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, even the two that didn't show And and, and when people are complaining that the two who weren't at the meeting still got the Holy Spirit, Moses says, oh, that all of God's children were prophets. That all of God's children could be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the prophetic longing of Israel from the time of Moses, the greatest prophet of all, all the way through to John the Baptist, who was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb of Elizabeth. We heard it in the story of Pentecost with, uh, with the prophecy from Joel, where the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit on all of you, men and women, young and old, masters and servants. My Holy Spirit will be poured out. This is the great longing. And Paul sees this in Thessalonica. The Holy Spirit is poured out on these pagan believers as they receive the gospel, not as word alone, not just as a message. But they receive this message with the Holy Spirit and with power and a full conviction. So they're utterly transformed by it. It's it's like Sam. So Sam receives the Holy Spirit when he becomes a believer. He starts reading the Bible not as word alone, not as message alone. But with the Holy Spirit and with power and the full conviction that He should be doing what this book says the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope is absolutely energizing. This is the progression that we see, and it doesn't stop there. It it it, it, it moves on from there. In verses four and, and, and in verse five, where he says, You know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. So even the leaders, even the ones who already had this Holy Spirit, were also energized and living through at the power of the Holy Spirit, not just talking about the word. You know, God's word becomes God's word because it's not just message alone. We believe this is God's word because through God's word in the Bible, the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit encounters us with power. The Holy Spirit gives us full conviction. And so I wonder where you go to be re-energized. I wonder what your source is when life has taken it out of you. I wonder what energizes you when you when you come in and, and you're exhausted. You, do, you, you turn on your favorite sports. Uh, pour yourself a whiskey. Maybe just start looking for new places to live. Check out new houses or, or plan the next vacation. Uh, start checking the one ads for new jobs. Start checking uh, the, the person. Get on a new dating site, for heaven's sakes. Maybe you rewatch your favorite movie or, or you go for a run or you hit the mall. And these aren't necessarily bad things. At, at worst, most of these are very neutral things, but they aren't sources of our life. Our source of life, our source of eternal life, the only thing that could genuinely regenerate us and not simply distract us is the Holy Spirit of the living God. But honestly, how many of you do you actually think, how many of us actually think to ourselves, I'm tired, I'm lonely, I'm burned out, I'm fed up, and am bored. I think I'll read my Bible. Remember that creation was a combination of speech and spirit. At recreation and renewal, it's speech and spirit. And Jesus promises, pray for God's spirit. Go to the place where God's message is found. God's spirit will meet you there. The Holy Spirit will take you to Jesus through the words of Scripture. The Holy Spirit will feed that hunger and quench that thirst. The Holy Spirit will heal that wound. The Holy Spirit and the message of Scripture can and will re-energize you, not like a a sugar high, but in long and steady and slow-burning and trustworthy ways. So let me encourage you, encourage myself, to add the Bible to your summer reading. Read it because you know that God's spirit will meet you there. Read it to recognize the voice of God's spirit. Read it to be able to discern the Holy Spirit of God from false sources of energy or joy. Read it with your children so that they begin to recognize the voice of the spirit of God from all the other spirits of the age. And this spirit and this message will meet those very things that drain your energy. All that anxiety at work and we read these promises that God will provide along with the Holy Spirit giving the conviction to believe. That this spirit of bitterness that sometimes take hold, well, that's not the spirit of generosity or kindness we read about here. So we confess it and let it go. When we sit with our loneliness, with the fear that we are forgotten, and read in the scriptures, Jesus say, I am with you. Every day of your life is written in my book. And the Holy Spirit comforts and accompanies us. Concerned about our children, and we read Jesus saying that not one of these given to me will be lost. And the Holy Spirit gives us the conviction that our children's and our friends are safe. When there's a pressure to perform or to fit in, we read we are fearfully and, and wonderfully made that God's purposes will be fulfilled. Or in the midst of our grief and our loss, the assurance of the resurrection of the dead and the restoration of all of life with the Holy Spirit who raises the dead and restores all of life. Won't this re-energize us? Won't this fill us up again? Where are all that the day in and day out grind takes away. And next thing you know, remember Sam's energy. We're reading the Bible and getting jazzed to actually live out what the word says. That's when the Bible is God's word. When it's message plus the Holy Spirit and power and full conviction. But Paul doesn't stop there. This isn't just me and Jesus and the message reading it on my own. If you read in verse 6, Paul says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice something here. It's so important. Notice how relational this is. The believers were transformed in relationship with a person, Jesus. This person whom they met through those who came to know him, Paul and Silas and Timothy. This isn't you started living in harmony with the message we gave you. This is spirit and message together in relationship. The mix of message and spirit and relationships is what transforms. George speaks about this so often to us as a community, calling us to be a community of communities. Because he knows what Christians have known throughout the ages, what Paul knows. We can't do this alone. The Holy Spirit is communicated and energizes us in relationship. And this is essential to the energy to see this through to the end. The early church taught faith through spirit-filled relationships. You became imitators of us and the Lord. It's why we meet in corporate worship. It's why we pray especially for our brothers and sisters who are sick or homebound. Because we know how incredibly difficult it is to continually have hope re-energized when you're alone. It's why we gather in small groups and walk with mentors and send our youth on retreats and trips like Shasta or beyond Malibu. It's why George is continually challenging us to be in community. Because life is difficult enough. I mean, did you catch this later on after verse six? You received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit in spite of persecution, in spite of great pressures out there. You had joy. Where does the power come from to see the race through to the end? Well, it comes from the Holy Spirit given in and through the words of the Bible. But the energy to see the race through to the end also comes from the Holy Spirit's joy that it's experienced in relationship with one another. So I want to encourage you this summer, as well as adding the Bible to your summer reading list, to look ahead to your autumn. Look ahead to fall. Where will you be in community? Where are you in community with other Christians? Where can you join a a small group or, or, or find a mentor? here in worship or at the church, your home church, if you're visiting with us. Be community to others. Sam and the service group, they, they came together in this adventure, and that's where their joy came from. He didn't march up to Capitol Hill alone. And the reason that every other week they met in the Bible and prayer is to re-energize each other's source of joy and compassion so that no one would be burned out. It's just too difficult otherwise. And now Paul isn't finished. Here's the last thing that happens in this passage. And this, for me personally, is the most remarkable. Picking up at verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That's, That's Greece. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Did you catch that? They became the message. They became the word of the Lord. Not only there, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. They're putting Paul out of business. Do you remember Moses' wish? Oh, I wish everyone could be prophets, and I wasn't the only one leading these people. Paul's, Paul's Holy Spirit-filled mandate is as an evangelist, and as the Holy Spirit is poured out on all people, Paul is, is out of work. He doesn't even have to speak about it. So in verses 9 and 10, Paul gives a quick recap of the very message he usually gives to other people. But it isn't Paul saying it anymore. For they themselves report concerning us what a welcome we had among you. What happened here is Paul and Timothy and Silas would show up in places like like Athens or in in Corinth, and and people would say to him, so what are you doing here? And, And they would begin to tell their story, and people would say, wait a minute, I've heard about you. You were in Thessalonica, weren't you? I heard how they welcomed you in and these strangers go on to tell Paul what Paul was going to tell them that the Thessalonians turned to the living God from idols. That means they turned to God for life and energy instead of all the neutral things that we turn to and hope will re-energize us. They turned to God from idols and they served a living and true God waiting for his son from heaven whom God raised from the dead Jesus who would rescue from the wrath to come. That means Jesus who would come and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Now, that is how you know the Holy Spirit has shown up in a place, that the energy in a place comes from God. When lives have been so transformed that they live out their hope in Jesus with an energy that tells the story so well, nobody even has to speak up. Your lives have become gospel, Paul says to the Thessalonians. The message of good news broadcast abroad. Your lives share hope. Your lives embody hope. And we need to remember this. We have a lot of different ways of evaluating a church or a preacher, don't we? Did that place feel alive or dead? Does it have energy or not? How do you know if a place is genuinely being re-energized by the Holy Spirit? According to Paul, it's not based on what people say about UPC. It's not based on the feedback that they give when they walk into our doors or our worship or our programs. It's not what people say in Seattle about the energy here or the way we preach or do music or do programs. I'm not denigrating these things. These things are important. We have a long legacy in these areas, and that's very important. But the final measure, these aren't ends in themselves. The measure of our worship, the measure of our preaching, the measure of our programs is not what people say about us on Sunday. It's what people are saying about us out there Monday through Saturday. It's those stories that are so energizing. When I accepted this position at UPress and let friends overseas know that I was taking it, even friends who I didn't think had ever heard of UPC had stories to tell me. Oh, I know that place. My friend's kid came to faith there. Now he's a pastor in California. My friends in Scotland know this place because because this is the church that helped establish a youth ministry there. And can you imagine how many other stories there are? And isn't it so energizing when that becomes the measure of where and how the Holy Spirit is energizing us here? Hey, I've heard of, of, of UPC. What kind of a story will Seattle tell about us? They're the ones who advocate for street youth in the U District. They're the ones who embrace these students at the University of Washington. Give them a home away from home. They're the ones who come alongside the elderly, the children, the sick. Can you imagine? Because this is the third thing I'd like you to do this summer is start to dream. Dream about what the Holy Spirit of God will do in Seattle and around the world because we are re-energized, not for our sake, but for sake of the world, for the sake of seeing our hope in Jesus Christ. So in Thessalonica, the Holy Spirit and the message became God's word when they came together. Add the Bible to your summer reading list and pray for the Spirit to meet you. And the Holy Spirit and the message in relationships transformed lives, even in the midst of all the pressures of the day in and the day out. So I encourage you, make room for community. And finally, the Holy Spirit and the message through relationships transforms lives, not simply here, but throughout the world. So let's dream. What is it that in the next 10 to 20 years, our city and our world will say about this community at University Presbyterian Church? And I wonder if you remember Sam and that group that broke all the rules. We were putting wheels on that car as we were driving it. And eventually that service group finished. But I'll tell you something wonderful is a few years later, that church, Church at the Center, called a pastor who had a vision for, can you see it, Capitol Hill. And now Church at the Center that used to be at Queen Anne has moved up and is Capitol Hill Presbyterian Church. They live out the hope of Jesus Christ in that very place that God had given Sam a passion for. Oh, that all of God's children were prophets. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you haven't given us nothing. You have given us everything. And thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, the eternal life you've given us in your Holy Spirit. Would you please forgive us? Forgive us for consuming things that we think will energize us when they just can't. Give us the grace to continually approach you in Scripture. Overcome our natural resistance when we feel tired. Meet us, Holy Spirit, in our relationships. Restore what is broken and re-energize what is lovely. And God Almighty, make us prophets. Give us your spirit to dream your dreams for Seattle and this world. It's in your name that we pray this, Lord Jesus. Amen.